Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Rare is the moment when the world is all watching the same thing. It, it happens when you have the Super Bowl. It feels like the world's all watching the same thing. It used to happen with the Oscars uh, before uh, people stopped caring about the Oscars. And it happened again this week with a little regular season hockey game between the San Jose Sharks and the Boston Bruins mm-hmm. when the entire world stopped when it became apparent that Joe Thornton had a hat trick in the third period with ample time to score a fourth goal, which would trigger the Joe Thornton rooster clause in which he said at one point in his career that if he scored four goals in a game, he would unleash the beast. He would take a major for high sticking. He would, he would, he would show his junk if he scored four goals in a game. Yeah, so, I completely forgot about this and was really wondering when I woke up this morning of why everyone was freaking out about uh, three goals from Joe Thornton. I'm like, okay, you know, it was a long time between his last hat trick, so be it. Now, the, the, there were, there were reports from the game in San Jose that the crowd, and this is why hockey fans are the greatest fans on earth. I'm sorry, that was very Gary, but the hockey, we have the greatest fans in the history of sport. I know. Very Gary Bettman of me to say that. But there were reports from the Shark Tank last night that fans in the crowd were chanting rooster. When he got three goals, which is just the greatest thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. Now, he, he, he apparently blushed after the game. The, the, the Sharks ended up losing in overtime. We'll get to that in a second. The Sharks ended up losing in overtime. He was asked after the game about this very thing. Um, you know, vowing to, uh, to drop the hockey pants if he, uh, scored four goals in a game. And, uh, he acknowledged the existence of it. He knew it was a possibility. Um, but didn't really own up to whether or not it would have happened had he scored that fourth goal. And I got to tell you, man, it was plausible. There's like six minutes left in the game, and then they went to the three-on-three, and I believe Boston at one point was going to almost have an empty net. I don't think they scored with an empty net, but it could have happened. Um, so it, it was it was on the table. Okay, wrong choice of words. It was a possibility that Joe Thornton would have had to follow through at some point. But alas... It wasn't meant to be. And and I saw people on Twitter last night saying what I was thinking, too, which is that, look, Boston, you've got a bunch of points already in the standings. You're not catching Tampa. You're pretty ahead of Toronto. Just let the man score. Give the hockey fans something that they want. Right? You know what? Boston's just always depriving everybody else of what we want. Depriving them pretty of Pretty on joy. brand. All right. We're going to continue the discussion of this Boston game in a second. But first, we should probably... Start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey, everybody. It's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. Now, 6-5 win for the Boston Bruins on uh, Monday night. Uh, but we should mention something that happened in the third period because it is infuriating. And that is the high-stick goal scored by Chris mm. Wagner of the Boston Bruins last night. Infuriating on two fronts. Infuriating first because it was clear as day to everybody watching this game that he hit the puck well above the crossbar, well above his shoulders, Puck dropped in, and then after it crossed the line, he hit it a second time. 
clear as day to everybody watching this game. So the referees on the ice blew this call pretty severely. Um, I mean, you know, to the point where Pete DeBoer looked like he was going to just turn into the, the anger from inside out and have flames shooting out of the top of his head. And rightfully so, because they blew the call. But it does come back to something very interesting about the NHL that I think a lot of people don't realize, which is that a goal scored in that manner mm-hmm. with a high stick, not reviewable. Not reviewable, which is insane to me. It's insane to me that we have a league right now where we go back to check on whether a guy was a millimeter offside seven minutes <laughs> before a goal is scored, but we can't review a play like that last night. That is crazy to me. What a dumb league that you that you could do that one thing but not the other. It reminds me, and let's just get into football a little bit, of like catch versus not a catch where this is two separate plays, right? The high stick is a separate play from him tapping it in as a line. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what it is. The high stick directly led to the goal. Like, don't be beholden to your rules that are creating uh, these discrepancies. Go by common sense. And common sense says it should not have been a goal, but they can't review it, so but, be it. But and it's also, look, the puck was over the line when he touched it. Like, it, it was right. so clear that that's what the, the sequence of events was. It was insane to me that they allowed that goal. I, I couldn't even believe it. And you know what? I did a great disservice to myself because I saw the periscope, the San Jose Sharks tweeted of Peter DeBoer, and I did not click on his overtime loss uh, press conference, but his quote, and I really wish I, I watched because I'd like to see Peter DeBoer <laughs> really angry about something because his quote was angry. It, it was great. above his shoulders. The officiating in the whole third period, I'm sure we'll get an explanation at some point, some type of apology. It doesn't help us in the standings, but that's usually how it works. See, I'm I sure did he wa- said it in the most monotone point, I, way he possible. He did because I watched it, and, and it, I, I wish it was anger, but it was actually sort of like kind of sad. It was like Aww. the sad resignment of somebody who knows how this dumb league works and knows that uh, you get screwed royally by the referees in, a, in a, an important game in the third period. Uh, a goal counts that shouldn't count. And you just know that the only thing that can happen is that the NHL will uh, apologize, not even publicly, mind you, just like, you know, call, you know, Stephen Walcom will call him up and be like, well, wish we could have had that one back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that's just the way of the world. But. It just goes to show how how wacky the Western Conference is. The Sharks do get a point uh, from that game. 78 points now to Calgary, 79 for Ooh. first place in the Pacific Division with the Golden Knights uh, well behind them. But the Golden Knights are uh, a, a good uh, nine points ahead of the Vancouver Canucks who are chasing them for third in the Pacific Division. Here we go, folks. Let's set it up for you. The St. Louis Blues, winners of 10 in a row, 67 points. They're in third place in the Central. Dallas, 63, first wild card. Minnesota, inexplicably, 60. They're in the second wild card. And then, here we go. Colorado, 59. Chicago, 59. Vancouver, 59. Arizona, 57. The Ducks, 55, despite being complete hot garbage. Edmonton, (laughs) fired their general manager. Their coach, reportedly trying to quit (laughs) during the season, 53 points. The LA Kings are eight points out of the wild card in ninth place. They're horrible. That's the Western Conference wild card race, folks. It is. I I I saw somebody tell uh, say the other day if you want the greatest argument against expanding the playoffs, it's this year where either you can say it would deprive us of the crazy mad scramble to the wild card in the West, or it is validation that expanding the playoffs would admit. 
completely inferior teams. Taking a look at the standings in the NHL right now in the Western Conference, from the wild card on down, it, it is a sea of red. It, it looks it looks like a math exam for me in high school. There's so much red on it. Nobody um, has a positive goal differential right now, and the closest one to having one is Colorado at minus three. Yeah, and if the Blackhawks somehow make it, whether at minus 23 right now, which would be somewhat incredible. Uh, my favorite stat that I saw over the weekend was via ESPN Stats and Info, and I just cannot wrap my head around this. But six weeks ago, on January 7th, the St. Louis Blues were tied for the 25th best Stanley Cup odds at 301. Today, they're at 10 to 1, the sixth yeah. best odds. That's incredible. insane. That's insane. Like, it's not just Jordan Bennington, though, and he's been spectacular. It's Vladdy Tarasenko just tearing the league up. It's Ryan O'Reilly doing what he's been doing all year long. And honestly, Elliot Friedman wrote in his 31 thoughts this morning, but when do they take off the interim tag for Craig Berube? I think he's earned it, man. Uh, yeah, I, I really do. I mean, you know, it's funny. When the minute Mike Yo was fired, uh, all the St. Louis fans started uh, plotting where Joel Quenville was going to live in his triumphant return to St. Louis. I think Berube's earned the job because not, like you said, it's not, the, it's Bennington's without question helped. I mean, solidifying the goaltending position at a time when they needed it. Jake Allen's doing his usual thing where all of a sudden he gets his act together in the last couple months of the season after, uh, you know, poo in the bed for uh, the previous three months or four months and almost ruining the, the entire season. Um, but on top of that, it's also their forecheck has gotten immeasurably better. And the odd man rushes that Jake Allen was seeing earlier this season have seemingly, seemingly disappeared, too. They're playing a much better cohesive mm-hmm. brand of defense on the team. And also, let's be honest, they've gotten healthier as the season's gone on, too. So all that stuff's coming together for St. Louis. The team I'm fascinated by, it, and I think most hockey fans are fascinated by right now, is Chicago. Like, Chicago... It was much like St. Louis, a team where last rites were, were being read. I'm doing the sign of the cross right now. Uh, the, the, the gravestone was being etched. They were done. And now all of a sudden we could be stuck with the Blackhawks once again in the playoffs in a low, in, in a wild card uh, situation where they're going to get whacked in the first round probably. But, uh, it's remarkable to, you made a noise. You don't think so? You think this is a playoff team that can, we can win a round? No, I'm Blackhawks? saying you get in, anything can happen. No, uh, gotta, look, gotta be in it to win it. I've watched the Blackhawks closely of the past two seasons. I will say this. Corey Crawford is technically not cleared yet, but he's mm-hmm. practicing. He says yeah. he's healthy. I would not be shocked if we see him debut in the next week. Uh, they have gotten better. Goaltending Colin Delia, though he got lit up by the Senators inexplicably, has been very good. Cam Ward quietly over the last month has been great. Uh, Slater Cuckoo has come in and has been a kind of nice surprise, uh, you know, especially getting a, a nice return for Jan Ruda. But really when you look at this team, uh, they've got Patrick Kane, who is on perhaps the best scoring stretch mm-hmm. of his entire career. I've got a story on him this week about what changed for him this summer. Uh, he did not lift a single weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he totally uh, switched up his regimen. Uh, Jonathan Taze has bounced back. Alex DeBrinkett, and this was my favorite meme of the wild Monday night of hockey, is when Cam Ward asked Alex DeBrinkett, hey, kid, was that your first hat trick? And he looked at me like I was an idiot. My favorite part of that was it ended up on Reddit, Reddit about Joe Thornton where they said Eric Carlson asked Joe Thornton, hey, kid, is that your first hat trick? <laughs> Sorry I wasn't around last year. <laughs> um, I don't think Chicago's going to make the playoffs. Mm-mm. I think they're a great story right now, and I do think that there is a little bit of momentum on their side. Dollars to donuts, if you put a gun to my head right now, I'm going to say that the two teams that are in the wild card right now end up making it. Bruce Boudreaux is, a, you know, as a, as a regular season coach, getting his team into the playoffs is all he can do. And I think Dallas is probably good good enough to get in right now, but might even get better at the deadline. 
That's um, taking for granted and, and that Minnesota has the same roster today that they'll have a week from now. That's and true. I mean, there's I talk about them being sellers and, and that sort of thing. We'll see what happens. Um, I mean, the team I actually want in, in is, is Vancouver if Minnesota doesn't make it just to get Pedersen in the playoffs. But I'll say this about Chicago, and it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to watch. If the Blackhawks make the playoffs, who gets the Hart Trophy votes? Is it Patrick Kane willing his team into a, into the postseason with his greatest season as a professional player, or is it Nikita Kucherov as the best player on what is leaps and bounds and miles the best team in hockey, putting together what is going to end up being a top ten all time offensive season? Given the context, I think it's going to be a hell of a race if if the Blackhawks squeeze in. It's a hell of a race. Look, Patrick Kane is playing three more minutes a night. Uh, he's got 36 goals to Kucha's 29. Uh, I think that if the Blackhawks do make the playoffs, and that is a big if, my vote might go to Kane just because he is shouldering a bigger load and Kucherov has far better support. I mean, Braden Point is number four in league points right now. One and four you've got on uh, his team. And uh, Patrick's not getting as much support, even though, like I mentioned, DeBrinket's having great years. Strom's been good since he's been traded. Taze has been well. Uh, that's about it. Well, I I do look forward to all of the Connor McDavid fans throwing their support behind Patrick Kane's candidacy for the Hart Trophy if the, the Blackhawks don't make the playoffs. Obviously, you know, uh, I, I I am a, a big big proponent of uh, of players that are far outside the playoffs winning the Hart Trophy. That's me. No, it's not. You got to be in it to win it. But it's going to be an interesting thing to see exactly what happens with with Kane if he uh, he does make the cut because obviously there are some other lingering issues with Patrick Kane that probably get factored into whether or not you want him to win an award and be the face of the league. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. All right. Speaking of being the face of the league, the Carolina Hurricanes continue to be an absolute joy, a crossover sensation, media outside the hockey bubble covering the storm surge celebrations on home ice and uh, the curmudgeonly response to them from Don Cherry. But they're also in the news this week for another reason. Their beloved owner, Tom Dundon, Woke up one morning and's like, you know what? I feel like spending $250 million to buy into a fledgling minor league football operation and become the chairman of their board. And that's what he did with the Alliance of American Football. And he was kind enough to join us on our newsmaker line this week. Joining us on the line is Tom Dundon. He's the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes and he is now an investor and chairman of the board of the Alliance of American Football. This was a big, big news story. That broke uh, before the podcast today, and Tom is kind enough to join us. What what inspired you, sir, to uh, get involved with the AAF? I had seen the deal when they were conceptualizing the league, and then it wasn't wasn't something that I would do because so many questions about you know what would the quality of football be, and you know all the things that happen when you try to start up something new. And then once it went on TV and looked great and got good ratings and talked to different people that were supportive of it. You know, at the same time, through some mutual acquaintances, I realized that they had a need for someone like me to step in. And uh, it all came together last on Wednesday and Thursday of last week. So uh, it was, I wish it was more thought out than that, but it was that simple. As, as a point of clarification, there's some word this morning about a payroll issue in week one for the league. Did, did your investment cover some costs for them in, in early on or, or, or how did that work as far as the money goes? Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's probably a little floppy to say that on the payroll side, but the, 
yeah, I mean, I, I provide capital and they have bills to pay. Um, so, you know, to directly correlate one or the other might not be right, but uh, <laughs> I made my investment Thursday. And, and so people get paid usually on Friday. So <laughs> I know they had my money on Thursday. So, to, <laughs> and th- that doesn't mean I was there. There were other people the league was talking to and they had some different commitments from investors. So, you know, I can't perfectly know what would have happened had I not done it, but I know I did it on Thursday, so I'm not sure why it's being said that way. Yeah. Well, this league has backing from CBS and Dick Ebersole, and, you know, it made its debut to general favorable reactions. But like you said, there might have been some questionable, you know, finances early on. I'm curious, why do you think this is a good investment if, you know, maybe they started off a little bit in trouble? Well, I think you, know, you got to separate between, you know, when startups raise capital, um, that that's just the way it is. You raise capital and then you hit certain milestones and you raise more capital. So I would say separating between the committed capital and whether or not people were able to fund that capital and how successful they were with their quality of football and their ratings. And so the players are really good players and the coaches are good coaches and it looks great on TV and they've got good technology. Um, so I'm actually, I'm actually glad that there was an opportunity that, that, uh, was created be, for whatever reason based on how their capital structure was set up. Yeah, I mean, it, the football was good and, and, and good to the point where people were excited there was a, 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 like a spring league. It wasn't like the XFL back in the day where they had a week one debut with huge ratings and then everybody just crapped all over the product in the ensuing weeks. It seems like people are kind of excited that ex, it exists. Um, and it's growing. Yeah, That's it's growing. So yeah, it's for growing. sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, to go back to other startups in the past in football, I, I hearken back to the great 30 for 30 that we did on the USFL and the idea that, you know, that, that league in some ways was created as a rival of the NFL, but it also in some ways was created as something that might be absorbed into the NFL at some point. When I think about the AAF, I think of a, a, an entity in and of itself, but one that potentially could end up being perhaps an extension of the NFL one day as a feeder league, a minor league, what have you, a developmental league, what have you. Do you ever envision that in, in coming into this investment as, as being an end game scenario for the league or is it, is it too early to even consider something like that? Yeah, I would, that, that's not, that wasn't anything that's crossed my mind. I think, you know, football is for whatever reason, people love American football and they watch it. And so there are enough good players. You know, only 1% of these college players make it to the NFL. So now with our league, maybe 2% of players get a chance to play. And so, yeah, I think this it's viable just to be a support or development area for people's ultimate goal, which is to be in the NFL. And so that, that to me seems obvious that that's what we're supposed to do is do things that create value because this league only exists because the NFL success. But if, if the NFL would have wanted to do it, they, they have the wherewithal to do it. So I, I don't think about them as someone to buy a league. I think about this as let's just create this league because it, it's compelling reason. It's a compelling thing to do. Mm-hmm. So 13 months ago, you took majority ownership over of the Carolina Hurricanes. Now you are the chairman of an upstart football league. I'm just curious, what are other aspirations you have in sports and you see yourself getting involved, maybe partnering with the NFL one day? Oh, I have, I have no idea. I, you know, like I said, I didn't even think about doing this until Wednesday morning. So, you know, <laughs> it, 
when the next thing comes up tomorrow, I'll uh, I'll look at it. I have a lot of respect for a lot of the pro sports leagues, and it's obviously something I enjoy. But you know, my my favorite thing to think about and focus on is the hurricanes, and I've I've been it's it's been very enriching and rewarding to just be around you know the way Brenda Moore and the players the way they the way everything's evolved and that's 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 enough for me right now so I don't talk about anything else I appreciate you bringing it back to hockey on this hockey show that's a solid segue um, obviously there are some people that are going to look at this and see a financial commitment like this um, and and worry about what that means about your financial commitment to the hurricanes. Um, does one correlate with the other at all insofar as your your commitment to no. the hurricanes? Zero. I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't do anything that would affect my ability to give us the best chance to win at the hurricanes. This this has zero. There's no impact whatsoever. Did I see in the release that the, that Don Waddell was talking about maybe? your uh, attention being drawn to something else and, and maybe not being as involved as you've been. Um, I, I, for one, can't believe that's going to be the case. <laughs> I feel like you're someone... <laughs> I, think they, is... I think you hope that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are way too hands-on. You are way too attentive to all this stuff. All right, so we're six days from the trade deadline, and your team has the longest playoff drought in the NHL. I know something that eats at you. And I just got to ask, where do you see the Hurricanes right now? How do you feel about them? Because the last time we saw you was in December at the Board of Governors meetings. And I know you were frustrated with where the team was. You wanted some more wins. Well, what, what do you think of your team right now? No, they've done great. And uh, um, I'm, I'm happy for them because they've all worked so hard. And, and, you know, they deserve to have some success, I, I truly believe. And so, yeah, I was rooting for them. And, and I'm hoping, like all our other fans, that, that this continues. But you know, look, we this is these players aren't the reason they didn't make the last nine years had nothing to do with these people today. All they can control is, you know, today and everybody's doing the best they can to win the next game and and if they do we if they do they do and if they don't they don't. But it's you know, I, I don't spend too much time I'm gonna be super frustrated if we lose a game or give up a goal or don't make the playoffs. But it doesn't have much to do with what happened last year or 10 years ago. It's just, you know, you want to win today, like everybody. What do you expect your team to do at the trade deadline? You know, there's, there's, it's, it's, it's an interesting time, right? Because we're, we're in a spot where it can go lots of different ways. So I think we'll take all the information and we'll make good decisions. But, you know, I, we're, we're fully committed to trying to win, right? And so I do think Rod's really happy. He's told me repeatedly how much he appreciates the effort and the group of people that we've that are in the locker room right now and so I he doesn't I can tell you he doesn't feel like we need anything he feels like what he's got he he feels pretty good about what he's got so you know that's probably the starting point and then you know conversations will happen over the next week and we'll see where that goes but you know I don't think I don't think we have we have a huge incentive to do any one thing right now other than to just listen and, and explore and then we'll make decisions. You have a decision coming up this summer on Sebastian Ajo, who is part of that group of remarkable restricted free agents. And he's obviously having a breakout year. Did your life become uh, easier or more difficult after the Austin Matthews contract and the way it was structured in so far as trying to get Sebastian? 
I don't really know. I know he's going to play for us, so we'll figure out how. But I, I don't know how we're going to get it done. But we're going to get it done. That's not. Um, yeah, I I think I think everybody, all the other teams are going to run their teams the way they run their teams, and you know we're all going to work together to make sure this team's successful. So yeah, whatever they do, they do. We've made it all the way in this conversation. We haven't brought up Don Cherry yet, so I just have to ask <laughs> yeah. you. I'm sure someone had sent it to you. When you get the clip of Don Cherry in Hockey Night in Canada calling your team a bunch of jerks, what's going through your mind as you're watching that? I actually enjoyed it. Like, I've, I've listened to a couple of his things. Um, you know, I can't say I'm totally familiar, but I've seen enough of him to know that, you know, he's good for hockey and he's he's obviously entertaining and he cares. And, you know, so I, I enjoy it. I I don't think anybody wants people to think ill of them, but, you know, I know and I think our players know that we would never, you know, I'm not looking to harm anyone. I have, I'm have i not malicious, and I know our players aren't. So, um, you know, if somebody brings up a point, you just got to think it through. So he, he says it the way he says it, and I, I try to think through whether or not there's there's any validity to what he's saying. And, you know, I, I don't think there's – I don't think it is accurate – that we're doing it and anyone's harmed. I really don't. And if I did, I wouldn't do it. So I think it's been great, and I'm glad he talked about us. And, you know, people don't always talk about the hurricane, so I hope he keeps talking about us, and I'll still listen to him, and I enjoy him, and he gets to say, you know, he gets to say whatever he wants to say. But, Tom, you're selling T-shirts now. You're, you're monetizing this. It's amazing. You you are you are Kevin Bacon, and he is the town elders. You are Stone Cold, and he is Vince McMahon. You have you have found a way to put a chip on your shoulder because the old school guy has come down on this delightful team doing their celebrations. This has got to be good for business, right? Yeah, it's look. Anytime people talk about you, it's good. So yeah, absolutely. I think it's good. I mean, look, I think. People ask me on the whalers, oh, you just want to make money on the whalers or selling t-shirts. Let's be honest. You don't make a lot of money selling t-shirts and clothes, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's not how I pay the bills. And so I'm glad it exists and I'm glad it's an opportunity, but it's not about selling the t-shirts. It's as much about the people that buy those t-shirts enjoy it. They get to enjoy the hurricanes and enjoy the sport. And so for that, I, you know, he, he did help us and I appreciate him. And that's what's great about letting these things and, the world we live in today, things organically just grow. And so we don't have to control what people say about us. We just have to react. Mm-hmm. Well, we're glad that you exist, Tom. Congratulations on your chairmanship. Congratulations on this season. Congratulations on getting out ahead of the XFL. I think that's a brilliant business move. You guys are you guys are like a tombstone to their Wyatt Earp now. You're out first and everybody likes you. And there's no way they're yeah, going to be able to compete good. with that. Exactly. All right, Tom. Thank you so much for your time, man. Take care. Thank you. All right, thanks to Tom Dunnan and the Carolina Hurricanes. And you know what, Greg? I cannot wait to discover what the Carolina Hurricanes will look like a week from now. And did you guys all know that Discover is the official credit card of the NHL? And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL's team's logo and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all their new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar-for-dollar match on all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year. Automatically. No caps, no sign-ups. Redeem your rewards in any amount, at any time, and they never expire. With all that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats at the game, your favorite player's jersey, 
or maybe buy some new headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on. Mm-hmm, indeed. So try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. Only for new card members. Limitations apply. Treat yourself. The NHL trade deadline is on Monday. Please follow the action with myself and Emily uh, as we'll be uh, banging out stories and doing videos all day from Bristol. Also, uh, ESPN2 has got your TSN simulcast uh, for all the trade deadline action. Uh, I know people were super excited to have access to that last season. Well, we're doing it again because you guys loved it so much and watched it. So uh, full trade deadline coverage coming up on ESPN and ESPN.com uh, on Monday. By the time you hear this podcast, it's very possible that all these trades will have happened. But we figured we'd go through some of the big names and predict exactly what's going to happen. I had a, a predictions uh, column recently of 31 things that I thought were going to happen. Some of them were goofy. Some of them might come true. Uh, one has already come true that the Minnesota Wild are secret sellers. Uh, but these are these are more the official, uh, we know what we're talking about predictions, maybe. Let's start with... Um, Matt Duchesne of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, all indications are that he will not return to the Senators. All indications are he will be moved at the deadline. Hell of a trade by Pierre Dorian, giving up a first-round potential number one overall pick for, what, a season and a half of Matt Duchesne? Um, tell me, Emily, where do you see Duchy ending up? As weak as the bottom half of the Western Conference looks, I don't think the National Predators feel confident in themselves as a playoff team. I don't think David Poyle is done. That's just not his M.O. And I see him as a national predator, and I see, could see him staying there a long time. And one of my favorite subplots of this trade deadline season has been some people uncovering property reports. Apparently, <laughs> Matt Duchesne has dabbled in investment properties and got an Airbnb uh, house in uh, in Nashville. Well, he can move right in, and I, I see him going there. Yeah, I do love that. Um I think that's 99% of the Artemi Panera and the Florida rumors are because he has a, a place down there and enjoys going there. Um, I agree with you. I think, I think Duchesne and Nashville is the thing that's going to happen. I think Winnipeg is going to be right in the mix for him as well. Um, it could be an interesting bidding war between those two teams, but you know, he's, he's obviously been a guy that David Poyle has liked over the years. Um, the utter hilarity of Duchesne and Kyle Turris both ending up on the Predators <laughs> is too much for uh, the hockey gods to not let happen. And I think that the National Predators, as you said, know that uh, they cannot be a one-line team again in these playoffs. They need to develop a second scoring option. Uh, and obviously, Matthew Shane anchoring a, a second line, uh, probably with Turris, would be a heck of a thing for that team. So I, I think he ends up there, loves country music, and maybe ends up staying in Nashville uh, after we're, it's all said and done. So I agree with you on that one, Duchesne to the Predators. Mark Stone's the other guy in the Ottawa Senators everybody's talking about. The Calgary Flames kicking the tires. The Vegas Golden Knights are interested. Boston might be interested. A lot of people love him on the wing, um, but so do the Ottawa Senators. So where do you think Stone ends up uh, being uh, uh, skipped this trade deadline see skipping i I think i could see him end up staying with the senators i really do if he Mm -hmm. does get moved i just think the jets covet him so badly and they need that second line center and they find a way to get it done because this is their window i don't think that uh, he moves i think that the ottawa senators probably had to make a financial decision on both him and duchene and probably decided that they had a better chance of retaining stone they're going to pay him out the wazoo uh -hmm. to stay they're going to they're going to pay him big big money to stay, but I think he remains in Ottawa. Uh, Artemi Panarin, where do you think that he ends up at this deadline? Wild card, Dallas. Yeah, you know, they were being talked about as being a potential destination for him, um, and I think that's a good one. 
part of me still thinks the Columbus keeps them to make a run at it, and maybe they add people versus uh, uh, trading them for for stuff. Um, but ultimately, I, I have to imagine from an asset management standpoint, they'll trade them. I still think the Islanders are an interesting potential. Lou uh, never like, tips his hand, right? You never know. Never, never do. tips his hand. But I mean, it's clear that he wants to either play in New York, maybe, maybe, maybe Florida, maybe Los Angeles, maybe go back to Chicago. I think if the Islanders get him in now and, and have the ability to offer him eight years uh, in the, in the summer, that'd be an interesting place for him to end up. For God's sakes, him and Matt Barzell on the same line could be a beautiful thing. Um, I think I think the Islanders are an interesting one because I. I I believe that they think that they have a shot at it this year with the way that the, they they played defensively, and uh, his offense being added to the mix is going to be an impressive thing. So I will say the Islanders, with the caveat that I also think that he might actually stay in Columbus for them to take their own shot at it. And finally, Wayne Simmons, um, a guy who wants to stay in Philly, a guy that maybe Philly doesn't necessarily see in its plans going forward. Do you think he gets traded, or do you think he ends he, stay, he stays with the Flyers? I wouldn't be shocked if he stayed. I think Chuck Fletcher has developed, uh, you know, an appreciation for him, and especially as his team's going well, maybe he should reward them uh, by keeping someone around. I, I don't know what the value is going to be for him. Also, you know, maybe he holds on to him, kind of like Ken Holland did last year with Thomas Tatar, and and gets you know a bit more Thomas than expected. But Tatar. I would not be shocked if he goes to the Calgary Flames. I, Whoa. you know, he kind of fits the style that they like to play. Uh, he'd be perfect on a Western Conference team. He's done that with LA early in his career. And, uh, I, I just think they're not satisfied, especially with James Neal being out for what looks to be maybe an extended period of time. Well, speaking of fitting the style, I can't believe that Wayne Simmons might be available at the trade deadline and that a Cam Neely team doesn't trade for him. <laughs> there has been way too much smoke, uh, between the uh, Flyers and the Bruins insofar as Wayne Simmons ending up in Boston. They obviously still need that extra piece for their second line on the wing. It'll be the second consecutive season where they trade for a power forward who might be past his prime. <laughs> uh, but I think Wayne Simmons of the Boston Bruins would be my prediction for, for him. All right. It's time for our next guest. Now joining us is a special guest. He is the CEO of Jogmo, which is the player tracking technology that is partnered with the NHL. And uh, it's Martin Bachheimer. Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here, and I'm super excited um, here to take the opportunity to talk to me because we're excited about a new project with the NHL that we have underway. So thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's a long and winding road, but maybe just in a couple sentences explain how you guys became involved with the NHL, you know, pitching your product and, you know, how we got to this point. It was a long journey, to be honest. It was kind of a roller coaster ride, too, and lots of ups and downs, as it's the usual process in a project like this. So, um, the German Fraunhofer Institute, which is the uh, uh, biggest um, applied research institute in Europe um, overall, um, they developed groundbreaking technology like MP3 and other stuff. They created a tracking technology for soccer originally, um, but FIFA, the regulatory board of uh, soccer, didn't allow to put um, sensors and chips on players, so they just kind of said, okay, let's put this whole project on hold. And then we said, why not try to make this whole thing a, a better solution for other sports outside of soccer? And then we got in touch with the NHL. It was almost exactly two years ago. Uh, we built a prototype in Nuremberg in Germany around the time. Um, and the NHL just was flying over with a couple of people and a look at this and said, that's great. Uh, not the perfect product yet, but a good solution that we want to work on. And um, so for the last three years, we're working hand-in-hand with the NHL um, to come from this early stages to the final solution and the final perfect technology we have today. 
so the the thought is is that the uh, testing that's being done this season, all star games, some regular season games, uh, will lead to it arriving uh, in the NHL regular season for the 2019-2020 season. Do you feel it's on track right now for that? Oh, absolutely. Um, the NHL was very, very hardcore with us around testing, so they insisted on a lot of tests um, way before the final, not tests, but the final showcases, as we called that, um, around the regular season games in Las Vegas um, early January during the CES convention, and then finally at the All-Star Game in San Jose. Um, and um, so the technology worked smooth, and um, NBC was broadcasting our data live without any delays um, nationwide, and Rogers in Canada too. Um, so we're right now implementing um, technology in all of the arenas. So we're starting with cabling, infrastructure, antennas, and all the setup we need to do. Um, we're working with the puck manufacturer right now to make sure that we have pucks on hand, which is a complex thing to do as well. Um, so, yeah, we're on track. Um, so we didn't come up with a final date yet when within the season we're going to be live in all arenas, um, but we're totally on schedule. So I know you did an interview with the Associated Press recently, and this quote stuck out to me. You said, it's an active puck, so it needs to be activated before it goes on the ice and deactivated after that. It's kind of a different handling process for the officials and the people in the box. That fascinates me. Can you go a little bit more into that? Oh, yeah. And that is one of the things we need to figure out the next couple of months with more testing, how to optimize the process. Um, so far in previous tests, that worked, um, but still... It was more complex and more complicated for all of the officials on the ice and for the people handling the puck as was in the past, just handing out a frozen puck is one thing and then activate, deactivate is another thing. Um, so we come up with different solutions for that and right now testing how it's going to work um, in, in a perfect way for the league. Um, so at the All-Star game, we already had the process in place. It was perfect. Um, but still, there were some people who said we can do even better um, because we're talking about um, way more than a thousand games in the regular season. Um, so it's going to be, uh, it has to be scalable for everybody that um, there's no error allowed. Um, so you activate the puck like with a system that is no touch, so it just headed out and it's automatically activated and deactivated. Um, but our technology um, wants to make sure that there's not more than one active puck on the ice. That's one of the challenges. And um, mm. so we need to figure out how to work on that, that there's no problem here. You're going to have to go through a, a significant portion of time with players complaining about the difference in feel and the difference uh, to the puck. Um, how How concerned are you about that? And do you think that it's significant enough where it could affect the rollout? of this, or do you think it's something that will just naturally kind of run its course? Um, I would say it's a challenge, but not a concern, to be honest. And there's two things I want to mention here. One is um, the weight is totally the same because there's certain um, requirements from the NHL, what the puck should weigh, etc. So we're totally in, in scope here and in line with the requirements. The same is with the dimensions, of course. So it's not bigger or smaller or uh, lighter or heavier than a normal puck. Um, but the playability might feel different because we needed to change kind of the recipe of the rubber compounds of the puck. So um, pros might feel a difference and there's something we don't like. So we're still working on optimizing this rubber compound so that it's actually the same, um, not only look and weight and, and size, but also the same playability in terms of um, elasticity and resilience and stuff. Um, so we're getting there. Um, but still, we heard the same thing. The players didn't complain, but I said they feel a difference, which is not optimal. So we need to work on this. Um, but it's not, a, it's not a threat. It's just a challenge, and we will solve it. I understand what you're saying. I, I, I do wonder, though, like, you know, if if all of the 
hamburger joints in the United States all of a sudden said, look, we're not doing hamburgers anymore. We're going to do the Impossible Burger, the burger made from plants that tastes very much like meat. Um, I would still say I miss meat. Um, I feel like the players are going to be like, I understand that all of the pucks are different now and we've decided to go in this direction, but we feel as though our game was better and that our ability to play the game was better with the old pucks. And I, I don't know if there's a way to get around that. Do you? Um, honestly, um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but the NHL might jump in if I do. Um, we did some testing and that's um, kind of official last year at the Tampa Ulster game, so almost exactly a year ago. Um, so we had active pucks in the game, smart pucks as we call them. Um, the players didn't know, no player said a word. We're talking about the pros of the <laughs> pros, the all-star people. Um, they did hardest jobs, they did skills competition with the pucks, they did the whole all-star game with our pucks. There was nobody complaining about anything. Um, this year they knew that there was a difference in the puck and we heard some feedback, ah, there might be something different. So um, I think... It might be partially true. I'm not saying those guys are, are, are complaining just for no reason. Maybe there's some people who are so sensitive that they felt the difference. But if you know there's a difference and there's a new recipe in Coke, classic versus new or something, then you might taste something that you would never have tasted before if nobody told you. New Coke sucked. I'm going to be honest with you. But Coke <laughs> Classic is fine. And I'll say this to you, Martin. I kind of agree with you because typically when they do equipment changes in the NHL, uh, and, and, and Emily, and, Emily and I know this as writers. You write about it uh-huh. for about two months, then you get past American Thanksgiving, and then no one says anything about it anymore. These guys complain about it for through camp, October, November, get to December, and then no one's talking about you know the changes in goalie equipment anymore. It's just how it works. Right. It's the life cycle of these things. So we're not concerned about this. We'll figure it out, and we want to make it perfect. And um, as long as people say they feel different, we will change it. Right. The last thing I would love to know from you is, you know, 10 years ago, if you told me there was going to be a p- tracking puck in the NHL, I would say you were crazy. Uh, but here we are, and it's about to happen. So what do you see as next? What's the next frontier for technology and the way we consume sports? What would you love to work on in 10, 15 years from now? So the activated puck is just one thing. We're tracking the players as well, as you might know. So we have chips on the players, chips in the puck, and this kind of raw data, as we call it, which is just the XYZ coordinates. Uh, this is nice, but it doesn't give you too much. What we feel the fun part of it is um, that you have an augmented incident and broadcast as we tested it live, um, that there's no delay or no replay necessary. You can in real time just activate additional data on your broadcast feed or on stream and everything. Um, we tested a lot of um, live applications like artificial reality, or augmented reality, virtual reality. All those things can work live, and I think it's going to be a totally new experience for hockey fans. Um, and the other thing where we feel a lot of the benefit will, will be um, is around our coaching applications, so to really increase the performance of the team, of individual players, to have a better view of um, heat maps and time on ice and performance and action on the ice for the coaches to make the game even better. Wow. Well, that's all sounds amazing, and we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I can't wait to see uh, what this looks like. You're welcome. Thank you. Now it's time for one of our favorite segments of the week. It's when Sash and Shandon gives us a number, a bit of hockey trivia, and we have to figure out what the hell it is. It's Sash got your number. This Eastern Conference team has gone to overtime five times on the front end of back-to-back games. Who is it? You know this. 
Five times on the front end of back-to-back games. I don't know it. Do you know it? Um, no, I'm going to think about teams that have played a lot of overtime games. <clears throat> I'm going to um, go. The, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go the Bruins. I feel like they played a lot of overtime. Okay, that makes sense because we are in the vicinity of a Boston Bruins overtime game. <laughs> Recency bias. I'll go. I'll go with uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Carolina Hurricanes oh. have played 11 sets of back-to-back oh, games this season and that. just can't seem to get out early as mm. five of those front ends have gone to OT. There it is. Ooh, the front cardiac, cardiac Canes, ladies and gentlemen. That's a good one, Satch. That was more in keeping with what we like about this gimmick. And now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, the segment in which we talk about the uh, foibles and failures of the hockey media. Fortunately, I believe you've been spoiled for this edition of Phil Kessel loves hot dogs through our conversation with the lovely and talented Top Dundon of the Carolina Hurricanes. Of course, what else could it be? But Don Cherry's insane rant about the fact that the Carolina Hurricanes are a bunch of jerks. This is the National Hockey League. Rinda Moore is a good coach. He play. These guys, to me, are jerks. You have to do this in the National. They're still not drawn. This is to me, and I'll tell you one thing, they better not do this in the playoffs. What I don't understand is Rinda Moore is a street shooter. He always was. This is a joke. The, the rest of the guys, young men expressing themselves for joy of winning. They don't do this thing in the net. It's professional hockey. One of these guys are jerks or something. And I'll tell you one thing. They do this in the playoffs, making fun of the other team. But nobody's out on the ice. The game's over. I admit, I always liked your theory of when you celebrate when you win only. Uh, that's why you liked Muhammad Ali, whereas uh, Sugar yeah, Leonard did the before. Now, you don't. If you want to do it, do it before. But wow. that, that is absolutely ridiculous. I know the rest of the people. I know all the broadcasters and everything are afraid to say something like that. They're jerks well, doing it. I like it. I know you. <laughs> you luck and I, the weatherman, you know what I mean? I know what I'm talking about. You never do anything like that. They're still not drawn. They're a bunch of jerks as far as I'm concerned. Imagine Justin Williams doing stuff like that. I, Ridiculous. I need a stiff drink and a decoder ring to figure out what the hell I just listened to. Can't even finish a sentence in it, which is my favorite part. There's so many, there's so much to unpack here. Um, first of all is Ron McLean, who won, by the way, once call, said that I had a rapier wit. Which I'll always thank him for. What? Yeah, rapier wit, like a rapier, like a like a not like like a sword, not like uh, you know, mm-hmm. not like Law and Order SVU mm. kind of. So um, I like the fact that Cherry um, believes that the storm surge victory celebrations are mocking the other team, even though they're already back in the dressing room and packing up to leave on their team flight. I like the fact that Cherry. Um, I think is is bemoaning the fact that Justin Williams, who, as we've talked about in this podcast before, is an organizer of these routines and a promoter of these routines and the guy that basically has the suggestion box that he picks from to figure out what they're going to do if they win, that he is somehow, you know, a victim of this or something. I don't know. Or just imagine him doing it. Well, you yeah. can imagine if you watch. But but my favorite part of it. And, and I, I know there it kind of, you know, it comes and goes pretty quickly during his babbling, incoherent old man yells at cloud rant did at one point don cherry suggest that the carolina hurricanes in an effort to not show up their opponents do a victory celebration before the game 
I'm pretty sure I heard that that in order for them not to somehow mock the people uh, that they are playing in the game. Uh, to somehow not besmirch the good name of the visiting team, that they should hold a victory celebration before the puck is dropped for the benefit of the fans, which is uh, crazy, uh, I think would be the word I would apply to it. So Don Cherry, man. Wow. But again, like we talked about before, Emily, great fodder for T-shirts. Indeed. So, all about the T's. All about the T's, baby. They don't make any money. By the way, my friend uh, Jamie Matram, who hired me both at the AOL and Yahoo, is uh, involved in the company Breaking Breaking Tea uh, that uh, created those shirts. So good on them for doing it. Just name drop that. All right. It's time for uh, puck headlines. Dateline Slovakia. Scott Powers of The Athletic caught up with Marian Hosa, who detailed the gruesome symptoms of his skin condition and the contractual convenience of his retirement or not retirement, but long term injured reservedness. If you go Greg over the issue, himself. if you go over the issue, this would uh, be the first thing about it uh, that they're checking. Uh, Hosa said, "So yeah, you cannot blame those people and fans of other teams." Uh, later on, we knew maybe somebody would question this because it looks like this is how they want to write it down. But the good thing, I, uh, the good thing, I had twenty-something goals that year. I felt fresh. I would finish my career that way if I felt so good. I love the game. I love Chicago. I love the fans and the organization. For me, this was tough. Kind of like, okay, I'm not going to play next year, maybe. I, I want to clear up something. I've seen some people, on, especially on Reddit, say this about me. I never once said that it was a hoax. I never once doubted that Marion Hosa didn't have a skin condition. If, if other people said that, I mean, they're, in, they're, they're, they're nuts. Like, he clearly has a skin condition. I mean, there's photographic documentary ed- evidence of him having a skin condition. There's not a single point in which I thought he was faking it or that the Blackhawks paid off NHL doctors in order to make this contract go away. But it is undeniable, undeniable that his contract was structured for him to not play beginning at the point in which his his salary dropped to $1 million a season, which is exactly what it did when he decided not to play. And that there is a benefit to the Chicago Blackhawks to be able to put them on long-term injury reserve and take that money off their cap. I mean, it's undeniable. Um, and at no point did I think he was faking it, but I all I said, and it remains true, was that when you're making $7 million or $4 million versus when you're making, you know, around the money that a backup goaltender on a, a really good team makes – you probably have more desire to gut it out and deal with the eczema pus covered skin you have to deal with when you wear your equipment. And so if you, if you think that this refutes that more power to you, I think it underscores the fact that he decided to leave because he felt that bad and because it really wasn't worth his while to put up with this stuff anymore. It's making $1 million a year. And again, at no point is there ever a discussion with Marion Hosa about, okay, so when you sign this contract and the salary dipped to $1 million, that's, you're going to continue playing. You, you honestly, honestly did that. You structured your contract that way. And he's going to say, yes, my body feels good, but you're making $1 million a season, man. <laughs> Come on. I respectfully disagree. Okay. 
You could disagree. I, I'm sure many people disagree. I think the Blackhawks would have really benefited from having him. Of course year. they would have. He's a, he's a great player making $1 million in also, real money. <laughs> Why would they want him back? I also am not privy to any conversations he had with the doctors, and I am inclined to believe him at his word that it really was that terrible, and he really couldn't wear things or it would get progressively worse. It, I'm not here. saying that it wasn't that terrible. I'm not saying it wouldn't get progressively worse. I'm just saying that this is the single greatest coincidence in the history of the National Hockey League that a guy who has a contract structured so he leaves the game at this point, leaves the game. Maybe it's a black mirror twist that he got sick at the same time he was supposed to leave the NHL. Dateline USA. Ryan Miller becomes the all-time leader in wins by a U.S.-born goaltender as the Anaheim Ducks beat the Washington Capitals 5-2 to on Sunday night. He is, uh, he's been a really interesting story. I, I, I feel like we should send SEAL Team 6 to rescue him from the Anaheim Ducks and put him on a contender. I know that happened once with him going to the Blues at one point, but, you know, he's, he was really, really good. Then he got hurt and it, it sucked. But congratulations to Ryan Miller for, for this achievement. I know it means a lot to him to be the all times win leader for, uh, U.S. born goalies. It was really cool. And he's 38 years old and still has some hockey in him. So I would love to see him get one last shot at, you know, Maybe making the postseason again. Dateline, the best rivalry in hockey, although it was a depressing result. Canada defeated the U.S. in their three-game rivalry series 2-1. to one. Emily, you took in some of this amazingness. What just would you see? Yeah, I was at the game in Detroit. Honestly, my biggest takeaway was Alex Riz- Rigsby in this entire uh, rivalry series. Um, you know, I think we all paid so much attention to Maddie Rooney at the Olympics. We kind of forgot about Alex Rigsby, who's accomplished so much in her hockey career, but has been defined by these two near misses, right? Just missing the 2014 team, the coaching staff. I don't think she really gelled with the last one. Well, she said clearly, this coaching staff has confidence with me, and I'm very curious to see this goalie controversy that I've stirred up myself <laughs> at the World Cup uh, in Finland in just under six weeks, so six or seven weeks, who starts for USA. Like I said on Twitter during that, the, the, the third game of the, of the series, I wish there was a goalie controversy in Canada because that means that Shannon's, <laughs> Shannon's no longer the goalie there and I'm tired. The bottom is, do you uh, know what the problem with that third game was? What? Uh, U.S. started off really slow and then they look good in the second and third period, but once the bottles is locked in, like, yeah. you just can't. Like Sabatos is basically my Tom Brady for USA hockey. Like <laughs> I, I, we've, we, old, only we've beaten her. Like, I mean, we can say that we've beaten her on the reg and worlds and obviously, you know, at the Olympics. But but uh, I mean, God, retire. I'm so tired, so tired of seeing my team struggle uh, to score and just seeing all that hair peeking out of a mask because <laughs> then I just know who it is. Once again, putting the screws to us. Um, Dateline. Me. I named the Marcus Laslin trade from 1996 the worst trade deadline deal in NHL history. If you want to read that story, it's on ESPN.com today. You were a big fan of the Tomash Tatar uh, screw-up for the uh, Vegas Golden Knights I loved last it. year. I loved it. Just because I, I, I feel like I was there, you know, it was the first year of me covering hockey, and I was covering the Vegas Golden Knights, but it was almost comical that George McPhee, who had been so calculated in everything he did in building this expansion franchise, made such an oversight in overpaying for this player who is a fine player and a really great guy. It just did not gel. They did mm-hmm. not have a place for him. And it's George McPhee's biggest mistake since that other big mistake that he made on the trade <laughs> yeah. deadline. Yeah, the Martin Erat for Philip Forsberg trade is definitely on the list. And the one the one takeaway that I, I had from a lot of these deals uh, and the way they went sideways, and it might be you know informative to what's going to happen at the trade deadline this year, don't trade away your first-round picks in future seasons. 
I think Ottawa's already feeling the sting of that, but it's, 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 don't do it. <laughs> like it is, half the trades on this list are, are, are teams being like, uh, oh, oh, and, we'll and figure they that draft, out. then they drafted Tom Barrasso with that pick. Then they drafted Phil Housley with that pick. Like it's, it's, it just goes on and on the number of, of huge mistakes and lack of foresight that went into, uh, some of these, uh, deadline deals. Finally, Dateline, the Academy, best picture, Oscars this Sunday, Emily, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born in Vice. Who you got? I don't follow these things, so I don't know who The Favorite is or whatever. Well, The Favorite's not... Uh, oh, yeah, The Favorite is nominated. Oh. <laughs> um, Roma. Yeah, I'm going to go Roma as well. Is that The Favorite? Um, well, The Favorite... Should be the favorite, but it's not. Roma is probably, I would say, the favorite right now. Green Book is the one that won the Golden Globe and made everybody upset. I'd love a Black Black Panther one, yeah, um, but I don't think it will. Um, Vice was really good, but I'll go Roma, and as long as it's not Bohemian Rhapsody, I think I'll be all right. Dinner to that. Now it's time for the rant line. I have more of a question than a rant, I guess. I want to know where the phrase home and home comes from, because, like, whose perspective is that from? Like, if somebody told me that the Flyers were about to play a home and home with the Red Wings this weekend, I would think that we were about to have two home games. Like, just the phrasing itself doesn't specify which game is being played where. For instance, like this weekend, Detroit is here on Saturday. Flyers are in Detroit on Sunday. But none of that is conveyed through the phrase home and home. I feel like it should be a home and away for Philly and the opposite for Detroit. It probably takes more time just to explain the specifics of each individual home and home than it does to just outright say the specifics of the home and home. First of all, um, see the legalization of marijuana continues unabated in the United States. Secondly, I would say that you make a good point because it could easily be away and away, which sounds more sort of musical and poetic. It almost sounds like a, a Gershwin tune versus Home and Home. But uh, what do you think, Emily? <laughs> I just love the Gershwin uh, reference. <laughs> One of my favorites. Uh, my sister used to do her gymnastics routine to do Gershwin. So. Your sister? Did you do gymnastics when you were a kid? No, I'm not as coordinated as her. No. Yeah, my uh, I uh, my uh, daughter does gymnastics, and uh, I'm not coordinated as her either. So it all makes sense that we, you and I, ended up on this podcast. Two uncoordinated people talking into microphones instead of doing gymnastics. But thank you for the call. <laughs> doing doing uh, uh, verbal gymnastics at times in, in handling questions like, "Why do they call it a home and home?" <laughs> that was incredible. What did, what did Satch call it earlier? They need to do better on their front ends. On their front ends, yeah, yeah, I want to incorporate do it. that. They need to be better on their front ends in their away and ways. <laughs> All right, great that's question. Es- I, I'm stumped. That's ESPN and Ice for this week. Our thanks to Tom Dundon. Our thanks to the Carolina Hurricanes and the AAF. They call it AAF or is it AAF? What do they call they it? Better start calling the AAF because that's AAF. Cool. Yeah, for uh, for having Tom join us, Mr. Chairman, and. Uh, also, our thanks to uh, Jogmo, uh, what is it, CEO, CEO, CEO. Martin Bachmeyer, uh, for uh, talking about player tracking and trying to ease the concerns we all have 
about the integrity of the puck itself. Uh, thanks to Ryan for producing. And remember, you can always call our rant line at 860-516-1029. We just got to thank you guys for listening. Make sure to follow our coverage on Monday. It's going to be terrific. And uh, bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.